1: hello everyone and welcome to another episode of is it just me the podcast that essentially puts you know nonsense front and center of the conversation i'm one of your hosts i'm james williams and as ever i'm joined by my lovely co-host joe elvin and a very special guest and they don't come more special more funny than uh, the guest this week she is a columnist a best-selling author uh, she's a feminist icon, and as of now, she's a bona fide screenwriter, because next week sees the, uh, the the release of her debut film offering. It's a screen adaptation of her best-selling book, How to Build a Girl. Yes, we're delighted to say this week's guest is none other than Caitlin Moran. So she joins us to tell us all about the film, uh, but also, you know, we got down to the nitty-gritty and discussed, you know, the usually... important heavy duty stuff like you know this week we talked about alter egos very important we talked about drinking straight from the bottle is it just joe that's never done that and also we discussed the demise of air kissing are we sad to see the back of that terrible media lovey trait anyway needless to say we had a lot of fun recording this episode and i hope you enjoy it too so here it is enjoy it here's catelyn moran
0: hello catelyn how are you Oh mate it's so lovely to see you like and you. It, it's a joy. It's a joy it's a pleasure it's a privilege to do an all day virtual junket but it's so
2: nice to see someone that I know. Hello. Congratulations on you know everything. Is it just me who's super jealous of all Caitlin Moran's success? That's the first question. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well i mean it's i always like to say that it's not a mystical situation like you know talent doesn't come to you in a cloud if you're like a good person or if you smoke opium um, or anything like this it's just about hard work it's like kind of like it's just grindingly never seeing your mates never really having any fun uh having to let the garden go to shit and just sitting on this chair for the last 30 years <laughs> typing uh, and typing and typing I mean, you do so never you wish- stop writing do you no no i live in this room that's why lockdown has just been i didn't even know it was happening i just spent yeah. my entire life in this room and then occasionally i take the dog for a walk and that's it but
2: as a bonus you are wearing clothing today because i know that that's not always the case
0: i'm happy to do it naked if you want is that one of the three conditions? Do you want to, i can is this coming off do you want want to do this well you know whatever you think whatever you need to do to sell the film babe yeah I know, right? Yeah. Well, what bra have I got on? Is it, is it worth it? No, it's quite, it's quite, that didn't look like quite a bra. Me, no, I know. Beauty. No. no, no,
2: no. Thankfully. Okay. No, it's, it's a seamless flesh-coloured thing of beauty. Cal- Calvin Klein. Bit of Calvin Klein. Very comfortable. Non-wired. Too
0: old to have wires. James,
2: write that down and see if we can get them to advertise. <laughs>
1: Gladly <laughs> accept and sponsorship from Calvin Klein. Yes. Uh, so... A- So, Catelyn, you're now a screenwriter, officially, how, does that ever get boring, hearing that?
0: No, it's really fun, especially as I didn't know how to be a screenwriter. Um, When I first started trying to write the script, I realised I literally didn't know what a script looked like. Um, And after sort of five weeks of sitting and typing, I had to show it to a friend of mine who's a scriptwriter, John Niven, and uh, went, why is this so bad? And he went, well, mate, your characters are funny, your dialogue is funny, but nothing is happening. When you write a script, a film has to be a thing happens and a thing happens and a thing happens. And I was like, this is important information, okay. Yeah. And so that was basically the, the extent of everything that I learned about screenwriting before I wrote my, my, my first film. Uh, but I love it. It's great because it means, because you, once you get your head around it, you're like, okay, well, it's things. It's like for the eyes now. Everything's been for the ears and the mind before when I write, but now it's eyes. So let's have a wall of all this teenage girl's heroes, and have Charlotte Bronte played by Sharon Hawken come alive and give her advice. Let's have Michael Sheen as Sigmund Freud come and talk to her about penis envy, like kind of like, let's do things that are fun for eyes. So I'm loving this whole new toolkit.
2: That, I mean, that made yeah. me really want a cameo wall of heroes that I absolutely loved that.
1: Yeah, Joe and I were saying that it's probably the most impressive lineup of cameos since yeah. like, uh, fab, uh, fab movie. Like the last, I mean, I had no idea all those people were coming at us. It was so fun. And that's just all your mates, isn't it? <laughs>
0: Basically sent in emails to everybody that I love. So the idea was that it's who, who my historical heroes were as teenage girls, so the Brontes and, and Sigmund Freud and uh, Elizabeth Taylor. And then I got my modern day heroes to come and play them, Lily Allen and Jameela Jamil. So, um, so it was a proper crossing of what I loved as a teenager and what I think is amazing now. Did you have a wall
2: like that? Because my, I, I had a wall of boys and my daughter's got a wall of women who she loves. And so I'm kind of reassured I'd much rather she grows up to be like you than like me.
0: Well I think the thing is every teenage, not even girl, every teenager has that wall of heroes and things they love And that's basically where you're making the blueprint for who you want to be in the future Like you know it's called how to build a girl because that's what you do in your teenage years And how you build yourself is you go I'd like to have the eyebrows of Elizabeth Taylor And the kind of you know the stoicism of the Bronte sisters And I'm going to stick all these things together and this will be my first iteration And some of it will work and some of it, I'll go, oh, back to the drawing board on that. But for all of your life, you are building a girl over and over and over again.
2: But also, I mean, I I know you will back this away modestly, but there'll be so many teenage girls now with you on their cameo wall.
0: See, that makes me happy. I think I've noticed it as a female trope that if anybody goes, oh, well, you have fans now or people like you or people listen to you, you're supposed to go, oh, no, I'm an idiot. Tell them to go away and like look at a bin. That's more inspiring. Yeah. And it's like... No, I'm a mum. I'm the oldest of eight kids. Um, I, I like being responsible for these people that I can give ideas to and like, share things with, and we can sort of all conspire together to make the world a better place for women. So I'm very happy to take that. I will have more. I want more in the Catmo army. That's a,
2: that's a great lesson because I'm terrible at taking compliments, and I know James is.
1: Yeah, and well, I'm still reading for the fact that I've just realized on my wall as a teenager I had Kylie Minogan 2 Unlimited, which probably explains quite a lot. <laughs>
2: doof 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 that's a good soundtrack
0: no, no, I, no really,
2: that was a very good message <laughs> to, literally yeah, yeah, that yeah. And the, uh, that,
0: that, that's in the advice of irene carr in the uh in the uh title music to fame which is too much is never enough if you have those two things no limits and too much is never enough those are very good rules to live your life by so so tell me when you were writing how to build a girl the
2: book when you when i whenever i read a novel i'm always I always have this filmic vision of it in my head. Did you, have, do you do that when you're writing a book? Did you ever see it that way from the beginning?
0: Yeah, well, I wrote it because like, when, so when How To Be A Woman came out, a nonfiction memoir about my life, um, I was offered a lot of film deals and we tried to see if we could turn that into a film, but it didn't, it didn't really have a plot, but I really wanted to make a film. And what I'd done in How To Be A Woman was tell the story of my life, but I'd only included the parts of my life that were experiences that most women will have. So, you know, menstruation, masturbation, abortion, birth, bad, bad relationships. And so when I went to write How to Build a Girl, I was like, okay, but there's the second story of my life, which is all this weird, completely unusual stuff happened to me as I was growing up. And that's what this novel will be about, because it's very unusual to be a 16 year old girl who writes you know, it's home educated, in a three bedroom councillor in Wolverhampton, writes a novel when she's 16, then works for the music press, gets this sort of national platform uh, to become a writer. And I loved the idea of that, because although it seems like a very specific story, 16 year old girl becomes a writer, who else is doing that? At the time, I had this national platform to write about my opinions about music. And I started off as a fan and being very positive. But it was made clear to me very early on that that's not how you be a critic. You're supposed to be vicious and mean and cruel and destroy these bands. So I did that for a bit. At the time that I started getting letters from rock stars' mums going, you've made him cry. (laughs) I realised that 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 wasn't who I wanted to be. I was a fan. I needed to go back to being a fan and being cheerful and positive. So I changed my life and my worldview. At the moment, every 16 year old in the world has a public platform to talk about their opinions. It's social media and what everybody does, what all young people do when they go on social media, they follow exactly the same path. You go on there, cheerful and bright and like here's a picture of my dog and here I am looking cute in my bikini and hurrah. And then someone has a go at you or tells you what you love is problematic, or calls you fat, and then you start to become more cynical, and then you start attacking people. And there has to be a point where you go, I'm not gonna do that anymore. I'm only gonna talk about the things I love. I'm not gonna waste this incredible ability to talk to the world by being relentlessly negative and attacking other people. I'm gonna point at things and go, I love this. So uh, that was the main reason I wanted to write the book and make the movie. It's the story of what do young people do when they can communicate with the world. And I hope they all look at this and go, the motto is, don't be an asshat,
1: just be nice to people. And was was there, I mean, obviously as a first time screenwriter, were you there like when he was shooting every day? Like how much were you actually on set as it was being filmed? I very much believed Given that the director Very kindly
0: didn't come And stand behind me When I was writing that when it got to the bit Where she was doing the writing, I would leave her to do her job So I popped down to the set twice Um, I went to the recreation Of the Manic Street Preachers gig So that I could relive My teenage years Watching the Manic Street Preachers again And I went down On what we all called Emma Thompson Day Which is the day That (laughs) Emma Thompson was on set and it was weird because like, there was normally about 90 people on set and on Emma Thompson Day, there was only 200 people who were doing things like carrying a chair around to look like that, that was their job and that was why we were there because we all just wanted to look at Emma Thompson and she ascended from her car looking like a cross between David Bowie and God and yeah. passed around this box of chocolates the size of a coffee table and just charmed everyone's asses off. So I understand why everybody gathered around her. We all just wanted to be a bit near the magic. I mean, she's,
1: she's like royalty though, isn't she, Emma Thompson, but essentially at this point... Okay,
0: so, especially if you work in the movie industry, like what more do you want to see than Emma Thompson act like that's as good as it's going to get. Nothing better is going to happen to your eyes that year than watching Emma Thompson doing her job. So yeah, it was beautiful. What about you? Do you think you'd ever um, go in front of the camera? Um, I've got a tiny cameo in it where I tried to make sure that I delivered as much value as possible by really over enunciating a joke to the person I was walking along with. So any lip readers would hear my funny comment about how I'd woken up that morning with a moustache and taken it up for some sellotape. Um, So I'm hoping all the lip readers are going to enjoy that
1: gag. (laughs) And then, Kathleen, was there, because obviously it is semi autobiographical, was there a moment when you watched it back? and you got genuine like goosebumps. Was there one moment that really resonated with you when you were watching it as a film?
0: I've got, well, all of it. Cause I mean, I'm watching my, you know, my teenage years, just, but with Beanie Feldstein playing me and being so much better at being me than I was at the time. And, uh, but the first time I watched it in a cinema, we went to the Toronto Film Festival last year for the premiere. And obviously, cause I've written it and seen it being shot. And then I was there in the edit. I was just sitting there going, oh no, I know what I changed there. That was a mistake. That's pretty bad. And then it finished. And there was this standing ovation and people crying and getting louder and louder and louder. And me and the director and Beanie and Alfie Allen went up on stage holding hands and I could see their hearts beating underneath their shirts because we were just like, we were all just like, we were all freaking out. I had to go sit in the toilet for about two hours later and went, oh my God, people like my teenage years where I was an idiot, that's incredible. No, it's fabulous.
1: I mean, she is also, Beanie is so, she's got such likeability, hasn't she? I mean, obviously, and obviously that's to do with you you writing her so brilliantly as well, (laughs) Catelyn, but she just really does have that lovely likeability, doesn't she? And I think that was, even when she's being a bit of a dick, you kind of still reach out her.
0: Oh, well, this is, I mean, I've been in rooms where she's turned up, like I went to an early screening of Booksmart before it came out. And when she walks into a room, you realise she's not just an actor at this point in her career she's a thing like girls believe in her they feel good in their bones to look at her and as I was yeah. watching her sort of you know with people freaking out around her, I thought oh my god I think this might be the first time in history that we've got a girl who's famous and talented and amazing and her backstory isn't one of you know being abused or being harassed or or having suffered and like kind of you know all these awful things she's just succeeded by being charismatic and talented and that's so good for women to see that you don't always have to suffer as a woman and be partially broken to make it in this industry she's just turned up and she's joy and light and it's worked for her and that makes me so happy.
2: And she nailed that accent which you won't believe me but to my ears the Wolverhampton accent is possibly the most exotic I've ever heard it's the one I remember when I first got to London and a man tried to chat me up in a bar, he had that sort of like that Midlands accent. And I didn't understand what he was saying. I spent the poor guy, I spent the whole time going, pardon? Pardon? But now I, now I understand it. It's taken my ear many years.
0: Well, this is the thing. So a lot of people were like, you're getting, you know, like kind of a Jewish princess from LA to play this working class accent but for british actors that's often the hardest accent to nail anyway yeah. like kind of yeah. so it doesn't matter like kind of so she went to wolverhampton for two weeks she was studying it and that was another advantage of casting an american actress because if we'd asked a british actress to go and live in wolverhampton for two weeks they would have said no <laughs> uh, but she didn't know what wolverhampton was so she was like yeah that'd be great and she made loads of friends and apparently she now gets emails all the time sort of going there's a two-for-one meal deal on at the curry house around the corner of wolverhampton <laughs> she's like i'm in la i can't take advantage of that
1: I'm talking oh. about things that I have to say, as a Welshman, Alfie Allen totally na- nails the Welsh accent as well. He's spot on, isn't he?
0: Alfie in this. So I really wanted Alfie to play John Kite because I'd seen him backstage at Glastonbury and about I five I Alfie before this film. <laughs> Well, I saw his fanciability potential in Game of Thrones. Even yeah. when they were like cutting his penis off and throwing it down a well in Game of Thrones, I was looking at him going, Oh. think he's hot. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to see him play a romantic lead. And um, so, yeah, no, he was just so... I went in and pitched for him to be John Kite and I was going on about how hot he is and how beautiful he is and how much I fancy him. And then there was an awkward silence. And then I remembered that one of our producers is his mum. And then <laughs> just been very problematic. <laughs> <laughs> so that was bad. And but you, we still you we pro- got him in the end. Of
1: it. And you probably didn't have to pitch that hard in that case. You were pitching to quite, you know, pitch, you were singing to the choir there in his mum. Well, I,
0: I had to convince her because like, she was like, I don't want it to look like nepotism. And I was like, no, this is definitely my decision. This is absolutely what I want. And I also loved as well, we didn't know if he could sing. So he's playing a rock star and he has to sing. Um, and uh, obviously we know Lily Allen's an amazing singer, but we've never heard Alfie sing before. Uh, she's his sister. And um, I knew that John Kite, he's a singer songwriter in the film. So we had to get a song, an original song for him to sing. So. I rang my friend Guy Garvey from Elbow and went, uh, described the character that Alfie was playing, going, Can you write a beautiful song for him to sing? And the next day he sent us this song, Day Making Girl. The, and out uh, the first day on set, Alfie had to sing that a cappella in a fur coat on the hottest day of the year in front of 300 people and nailed it. So Aww. I'm so excited for people to know Alfie Allen is now a musical star and a romantic yeah. hero.
1: I'm glad I was going to ask if that was his real voice. That's really good to know.
0: Yeah, and uh, the week before, Guy Garvey took him out for like rock star lessons. They've, uh, they've, they've kept it quite mysterious what they did, but they were out till quite late. Um, and I, I, a Guy gave him a crash course in being a lovely rock star. And uh, from looking at the results on the screen, I think Guy was a very good teacher. Well, everybody's
2: got to go and see how to build a goal. When it, When is it out, Catlin, kind of reminders? 24th of July. It's
0: streaming yeah. on Amazon Prime. So you don't even have to go to the cinema. You can just sit at home and watch it.
1: Oh, it's brilliant. And it's so, yeah, it's just total feel good, brilliant fun, Catlin. Congratulations. It's really, really good. It was just... Oh. And, and oh, it, thank also, you so much. And also it's just one of those films that, you know, cause sometimes films can go on a bit. What I loved about this was it was just joyful and feel good. And it was a good length. It was well edited and it did what it needed to do. in And the um, right- we all
0: love a good length. We love <laughs> it. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. that's the thing, but you don't want it, but like sex, you don't want it to go on too long cause it chafes. Like, you know, I mean, we were very certain that the film should be 90 minutes and sex should be about seven minutes tops. after that, I want Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Cause time. then you can get on with watching the film. <laughs>
2: so, right, yes. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Are you ready to get on with playing Is It Just Me? Absolutely. Hit me. James Williams, Catlin Moran. (laughs) Is It Just Me, who is pretty much dancing on the grave of air-kissing? I am not sorry that that chapter is now behind us in these corona times, every cloud and all that. Um, I'm particularly thinking of um, things like the very um, high-profile media mogul who cannot air kiss without going for the lips. Um, The photographer I once had to work with all the time who'd who'd quite often almost stick a tongue in while going for the lips. And that's before we even get to the high-powered retailer I know who once dragged me in for an air kiss and then told me he had a mouthful of ulcers. (gasps) That's skanky. I kind of, I feel like, you know, that, that, that's going to kill the coronavirus right there, just getting rid of that bizarre social phenomenon that we inherited from L.A.
1: Yeah, well, I well, do think, yeah, I have to say, Kathleen, because I, I have a friend from up north, and she maintains that the double-air kissing is very much a southern construct, and up, up north, doesn't exist. It's like, what the hell is this all about?
0: Well, I mean, and there are pockets of South London and North London where there are three. So then you have terrible yes. head clashes and you need someone like a referee to stand on the on the side just going, left, right, left again, pull back. <laughs> um, I mean, much as I hate air kissing, the fact that with some people, it's been replaced by namaste. Have you had people <laughs> namaste at you? Putting their hands together and kind of, bowing, bowing and praying, like I I find that worse. I would far rather be borderline sexually assaulted by a high profile retailer with a mouthful of ulcers than have someone namaste at me, it makes me so angry. And that's
2: a fair comment,
1: yeah. I I mean,
2: someone elbowed me for the first time yesterday, the old elbow, and it just
1: looks ridiculous. I'm getting a lot of the elbow pumps and I'm finding that a bit, it's all a bit faux macho. I always find it a bit like, it's kind of like, well, mainly gay men, suddenly being all butch, wank, busy, <laughs> bashing elbows. I'm like...
0: <laughs> <laughs> like a power play, like who, who's got the strongest elbow? A very niche power that we hadn't known was, uh, that existed before. I feel that we need to go back to like 17th, 18th, 19th century on this. I think we all need to go back to wearing hats. And then when we meet, we should take them off and sort of doff them with a flourish and just go charmed to meet you. That would be a suitable substitute for them.
1: And there's a very good hat in this film, obviously, isn't there, Kathleen? So I'm with you. Yes, Doctor, bring talk back me through Doctor. that. Bring back the yeah. doffing.
0: I mean, for me, the most important part of the movie was to give Beanie a top hat. Because when I was 16, that's my bit of wish fulfilment happening there. Because when I was 16, I so wanted a top hat because I wanted to be a lady artful dodger Slash slash from Guns N' Roses, Um, but no jumble sales in Wolverhampton, astonishingly, had top hats, so I was not able to purchase one. So the only thing I stipulated in this entire movie was that Beanie should finally live out (laughs) the dream that I had a 16-year-old and wear a top hat.
1: (laughs) I love that. It is weird because I'm not, going back to the topic, I'm not an overly, what I say, tactile person. But I would say I am missing even just a, an old-fashioned handshake. It is weird. I keep having to remind myself. And there are a few people now in my circle who are getting a little bit reckless. And I just keep going, whoa, 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 back off. Because uh, they're getting back into the, going into an actual air kiss or a hug or whatever. And I'm a bit like, oh, no, 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 no. Um,
0: Oh god! well apparently you can do that in Pret-a-Manger my understanding is the latest government advice is that if you go into a takeaway you don't need to wear a mask so presumably you could air kiss and hug in in Pret-a-Manger or a takeaway but nowhere else so that's an important safety tip from these guys who are all over it I'm glad Um, you understand it (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I feel like I'm an expert. I feel like I can maybe take over. Yeah. Um, But the worst thing about the whole lockdown and keeping your distancing for me is being the mother of teenagers. When they see their friends now and they turn up at the house to go and have some fun in the garden, I have to stand there going, don't touch each other, like a Victorian mother. Because they they forget, they just run towards each other. And I'm like, no, don't touch my daughter. I've got the 15 year old's
2: birthday gathering this afternoon and I'm on high social distancing alert.
0: Oh mate, good luck with that. I mean, it's I so hard. It's it's like herding cats. I should have just put fences up in the garden and told them to keep on either side of it.
1: You need you need bolsters, very right? large pillows are going to make a comeback for teenage sleepovers.
2: Yeah, I mean, did teenage hysteria
0: th- and the coronavirus do not go together. Did you see that thing they did in Germany where they got those two metre long swimming noodles, those ones that are made of foam, and they stuck, they put them on hats and put them on their heads because that keeps you at a two metre distance from each other, because you've got this noodle on your head. And I feel like my teenagers should wear a two metre swimming noodle on their heads to remind them to keep their distance. Well, I mean, I would do that just for the, you know, just to look cool. That would, (laughs) you
2: know, yeah. It's the the only hat that's cooler than Top Hat, definitely. Yeah, Yeah, that's what they should do. If they bring back the fashion shows, they should get everybody to wear those.
1: Yeah. But then surely, don't you think... The second we're, you know, hopefully a vaccine is found and we get back to fashion shows and gigs. Don't you think all that air kissing is just going to come back? Or do you think people will finally sort of park that forever?
0: Oh, I think people are just going to go back to exactly what they did before. No one wants to remember this. If you look back at previous pandemics and stuff, like kind of they're usually forgotten immediately. Like it's only recently yeah. we started going on about the Spanish flu epidemic after the First World War, even though literally everyone died. I'm going to uh, be talking to again, aren't I? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Open your mouth. I'm coming in, coming yeah.
2: <laughs> in. <laughs> <Get ready. laughs> Lovely. So, yeah, I think that. oh Well, I, I'm going to enjoy this hiatus period
1: from the halitosis and all the lot. Enjoy it while it lasts, Joe. As, yeah. as you said, every cloud, even the global pandemic, has a silver lining.
2: Yeah, you said that, not me.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> I'm not getting in trouble on Twitter today. Oh, yeah.
1: uh, <laughs> <laughs> is it just me that wishes I had an alter ego? Because I feel like with the film, and obviously you created a character, but I know there was, it's, it's kind of semi-autobiographical, but there are, hopefully there are some elements you've got to play out. And I always feel a bit like I'm envious of Beyonce and Sasha Fierce. Like I just wish I had that side or personality, split personality that I could just engage in all the things I feel too awkward to do as my actual self. But that's called
0: drinking, isn't it? That's, that's our <laughs> alter egos, <laughs> that's, that's, that's why we much. drink. To... We become Sasha Fierce when we're drunk. Uh, That's what we do. That's the whole point of alcohol. Um, And also, I suspect you probably have nicknames between various groups of friends and people you know, and you act a bit differently depending on what nickname you've been given. Like, I like to think of myself as a very serious, respected feminist, columnist at the times, you know, scion of society. To my brothers and sisters, I'm called Bongo, just an idiot kind of monkey called bongo and when i'm with them i do behave like an idiot monkey and i like that so i if you look at your nicknames i suspect that you so what nicknames have you got like what, what's everyone's nicknames with friends
2: i don't think i've got a nickname does that speak very badly to me as a person unless i mean james used to be my employee maybe there's a secret nickname that i don't know about um, james is there?
1: james yeah, go on there must have been like, a nickname you know, for her go on County face or something. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like Jelvin, Jelvin is what I feel like Jolvin is your Sasha Fears. Oh, I don't know if I've got
2: a Sasha Fears. I think this is, this is as good as it gets. And then my alter ego is the person my husband came home to one day when there was nothing to eat but baked beans with no toast. So I had baked beans in a bowl with a fork and I lo- it looked like I'd hit rock bottom in my life. And that's, <laughs> that's the at home Elvin that the people who think of me as the fashion magazine editor don't know. So yeah.
1: That's the Instagram versus real life.
0: Yeah. Yes. yeah So
2: but we I'm, are all
0: multiple. you know, without being overly philosophical, we are multiple people, are we not? Like we choose our friends because they they allow us to be a facet of ourselves, we're not with other people. And it's like it's chosen- like we're all Mr.
2: Ben's secretly, aren't we? And we just sort of like go through
0: a different window all the time. Totally. And I notice yeah. in the friends who've married successfully and have successful marriages, their spouses are the people they feel most comfortable around comfortable enough to wear eight beans with a spoon but that's you you don't have to you don't have to be fierce you don't have to be clever you don't have to be funny you just kind of sit next to them making grunting noises and kind of going oh should we watch an old episode of location 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 and shout at people in 2007 who were going this house is too small and you're going i'm for the future you won't be able to afford that house in 2020 buy it now don't be so picky jam i absolutely hate the punters on location 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 just one of, <laughs> one, of my great, one of my great joys of being me is that if, if I'm watching a particularly ripe episode of Location, 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 I can DM Kirstie Olsop and go, what's the deal here? <laughs> what, what was going on behind the scenes? And she'll tell me. And that's always good gossip. So so I so wanted um, to punch
2: them. Because <laughs> yeah, I yes. always want to. It's like you've got, you want the seaside and the city and you want a big house on this tiny budget. And you just keep walking from
0: room to room going... Can't really see it, really. (laughs) Uh, The worst one is one one when people just go, yeah, I want a big kind of like diner style kitchen with doors out into the garden. It's like everybody does. You don't need to say that. No one's saying I want a pokey galley style kitchen. Everybody wants a big kitchen. Don't bother saying it. That's just standard. It's like saying I want a husband who's not a murderer. Everybody wants that. You don't need to specify it on Tinder.
1: (laughs) I mean, how are you feeling about your house under lockdown? So I feel like there's a lot of people at a crossroads, aren't they? They've either totally invested and they've really put a lot in there. They love their homes. Or I've got literally cues of friends who literally cannot wait to literally move.
0: Well, I'm because I was home educated um, uh, and we never left the house. Uh, and then I'm a freelance journalist who works from home. So I never leave my house. I'm, a, I'm very 90 percent of my DNA is hermit. I'm very happy to just stay in my house and never leave. I, under lockdown, I've noticed no difference. I, I'm literally leading the same life that I did. I never see anyone, I never go anywhere. I just sit in this room and I take the dog for a walk once a day. So I, this can go on for another 20 years as far as I'm concerned. Sorry for everybody else. I know it sucks for you, but I love it.
1: <laughs> oh, did you, I've enjoyed it. Did you take any lockdown cliches at all, Kathleen? Was there one thing you did succumb to that you felt like the whole world was doing under lockdown? I did the pre-lockdown
0: panic buying not of food but I don't know if you remember like a week before lockdown everyone became convinced that the lockdown meant that we were going back to medieval times yeah and that like and that like they would have to buy tapestries and jigsaws and like kind of and everybody was like we're going to we all thought the telly wouldn't exist that the telly was going to be here no, by the pandemic it was when people were buying all the toilet paper
2: i it was like when it was like first of my i sort of turned to Ross and said oh my God, does this thing make you like shit a lot? Does it, is this, that that was like my big panic. When I realized that it didn't, I didn't understand why people were buying all the toilet paper. But once I knew that I wasn't going to actually need the toilet paper for the results of the disease, I calmed
0: down about panic buying. Did you kid yourself that you take up a new hobby under lockdown? Because I've got 10 jigsaws. I've not even... John Lewis sold out of jigsaws immediately. I had to like I, go into the I dark web.
2: one jigsaw of
0: a posh painting of a
2: Japanese wave painting. And, and I spent two minutes doing it and went, no, no, bollocks <laughs> to that. Um, and then I was going to learn a language, but obviously I didn't
0: do that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. My sister, because I'd always loved jigsaws. And then my sister turned up one day and went, why do you do jigsaws? And I was like, so I'm slowly assembling this beautiful picture. She was like, well, just... Print out a nice picture. You've just given yourself a problem. Why would you give yourself a picture in a thousand pieces? You've just given you, yourself an extra job. One thing though, Megan Mullally, I interviewed her once for this podcast
2: and she and her husband, Nick Offerman, that's their hobby is jigsaw puzzles. But they take it to the next level. So they, they, they spend days doing a jigsaw puzzle and then they dress up as the people in the jigsaw puzzle. <laughs> and No, they don't. Yeah, wow. they do. She's told me about it and then I've seen it since on Twitter. It's amazing. That is like that, you, that's commitment. Does that does that have a sexual? I was there's these, there's, there's,
1: that, there's, do, right? there's a undercurrent going on there, isn't there? I
2: love that though. But they're they're just they're just one of those couples who are madly in love after all these years. So also, you know. I
1: think they're probably the only people that could make jigsawing vaguely sexual and exciting.
0: Yeah, but you yeah, know I mean, it's.
2: It's, I do feel a bit tingly
0: about. imagining it now. <laughs> I have to say, I do feel a little tingle. Like maybe I'll get back on my jigsaws yeah. now. But I guess if you're doing it on your own, then does that just make that masturbation? Do you need to do it in a and loving look, couple? Like, and I know that you're fine rooms. with that,
2: Catelyn. I yeah. know that you, yes. you're, you're, you're very pro. So, yeah. So, you know, it's all, there's no downside here. I forget yeah. what we <laughs> what were talking about. exactly. I can't remember what we about. I can't remember what we talking about. James is now just like wondering where he's put all the jigsaws. <laughs> yeah. Why are there more jigsaws in my life? <laughs> yeah. I love that we're all turned on about jigsaws. This is middle age, isn't it? We're all having was a fruity you, sexual you undercover conversation. It was gonna conversation. You thought the junket was just going to be endless talking about all the same thing
0: all day. You <laughs> know what we've invented? We've invented jiggy sauce. <laughs> jiggy sauce. <we're> all <laughs> getting jiggy. Oh, oh, yeah. Copyright, Moran.
2: Yeah. There you go. Yeah, yes. and that's like, why
1: she's an overachieving screenwriter and novelist you see yeah. <laughs> brilliant
0: Selling a little or a lot
2: Who has never drunk alcohol straight from the bottle? I've never had a big rock and roll swig from a bottle of wine or champagne. And that's weird, isn't it?
0: It's, well, it's wise. I mean, because we watch, because we learn how to do these things from movies, it's not like you're parents teach you how to get really really drunk so we just copy things we see in movies so I remember when I was 16 and I went to my first editorial meeting at the magazine I was working for I was like okay I'm a child I need to look like a grown-up how would I look like a grown-up in this editorial environment so I brought a packet of cigarettes having never smoked before and a bottle of southern comfort it was 11 o'clock in the morning and I slammed them down the table and went guys bags a- shots let's go and they were just staring at like choice of alcohol <laughs> I know, oh god oh it was so the thing is as well i don't know if you've had this once you've been sick on an alcohol you can't that drink southern it again, comfort
1: can was the one I, I drank a whole bottle of yeah. tea about yeah. an hour later yeah i think southern comfort is something that's bought once in your life by teenagers yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ever again
0: yeah no once you've been sick out of your nose on an alcohol you can never go back to it again so yeah, yeah. i've had southern comfort come out my nose and i could never drink it again it's and Great i also sweet. at that same editorial meeting someone Someone tried to kind of play along with what I was doing in order to make me not feel like a complete twat. And they got out some beers instead. And, I was, and they were like, where's the bottle opener? I was like, I'm the bottle opener. And took one and tried to open it with my teeth and immediately lost about half of that tooth. But I had to style it out. So I'm kind of bleeding from the mouth, holding this packet of fags. So i trying to light one. I've never done it for the first time. <coughs> Blood's coming out my mouth. Southern comfort in my hand. And they were like, What have we done? Why have, this is why you must never hire a child. They
2: don't know what to do. Oh, I don't know. I wish I, I mean, well, the thing is, you're a lot younger than me because in the film, you're navigating your first job in London about the same time I was. But you were, you were working in a much more rock and roll environment. I worked on a teenage girls magazine. There was none of that business. We sort of like, you know, talked earnestly about people's first periods all the time. <laughs>
0: And I tried to do that in that all-male environment And they really didn't want to know And that was why I had to wait 30 years In order to make a movie where a, there's a character In a rock and roll environment who then in the next scene Tries to do PE at school And her sanitary towel falls out and is left On the, on the crash mat Covered with it it's like a, When we had to shoot that scene where the sanitary towel falls out of We had a range of 10 different sanitary towels On the table all with different stains on And we had a very involved 10 minute conversation About what day of her period she was on in order to work out what the best, uh, we were like, well, she wouldn't be doing PE on the first day of her period. It's like, kind of, it'd be towards the end where it's a bit rusty and brown. And that was <laughs> really That's like that that joke
2: in that Amy Schumer film Trainwreck. Is it? it's like you know, oh god, he saw the tab on, it, not like the last last cute, oh last day, like the real sort of like <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: There's a there's a butchery element. There's yeah, an ear yeah, yeah, there, just... you know. <laughs> Yeah, you just need to throw some sawdust on it and walk away. Like, it's just a massacre in your pants. Yeah, yeah. We were oh, like, she wouldn't do PE. She wouldn't do PE on the Thanks Wednesday. to this you, like Caitlin, this... Thanks to your <laughs> writing. I mean, if,
2: if that had not happened to me at high school, I would have faked my own death and, and, and <laughs> left the country. But now, girls are much cooler. You know, my, my daughter will talk to her dad about being on time of the month now, and she doesn't care. And I think that's brilliant. And
1: also... I One of know. the best... The reaction to Michaela Cole, may I destroy you, the the, the period sex episode. I mean, that was extraordinary because it wasn't extraordinary. Do you know what I
0: mean? Yes. No, well, things have changed so much. One of the moments where I realised that how to be a woman was like really crossing over. I was on the train and a group of like, I think they were 14 or 15 years old, girls came running towards me and went, we read about masturbation in your book and it sounded brilliant. So we've all started doing it. And we formed a masturbation club at school and we come in every morning and say how many times we've done it. And then we high five each other. Can we shake your hand? And I shook their hands and then looked down at my two kids who were like eight and 10 at the time who were just sort of doing a kind of this is nasty face. And I was like, wow, this has had unintended consequences. (laughs) Amazing. I mean, that's a legacy there. I know it's (laughs) a hand to say you can't do it with your leg. But yeah, it's my 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 hand legend is mighty. I love that. I
2: mean, we haven't solved I feel like I should go and swig something from the bottle tonight. Yeah, but,
1: just just toast. We you need to do just a the conversation and the invention of jiggy swords. That deserves a swig from
2: Yeah. The I think I'm just yes. too middle aged now to get away with looking cool when I sort of like rip the cap off a champagne or something and
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, you yeah. the, t- the only time I've ever tried to swig from a bottle, it's been like a fizzy champagne or something, like and it's always a very unpleasant experience because the gas and you- it comes through your nose and it doesn't look like it does. And the other thing that winds me up, actually, the other trope about champagne that pisses me off is when people be- be- deliberately like shake it and then spurt it everywhere. A, why would you waste it? And B, you're not Lewis Hamilton, you're never going to be. It's like... It was once with a very
0: famous writer at a wedding and we were having to share a cottage at this place in the south of France and we'd spent the day drinking and when we came back, she was like, we should do like Formula One drinking and she went into the fridge to shake up some booze and spray it all around the room. But the bottle that she found was Bailey's and so she (laughs) shook it up and then just had to like (laughs) flick it on the walls while I was going, that's not nice, you just like a dairy product yeah no, that was a present i think the problem with swigging from the bottle is it's too risky because unless you know exactly what's happened to that bottle a wasp could have flown into it someone could have put a cigarette butt in it and i would never be wanting to sieve that out with my teeth like that's i like it in a glass it shows me what's coming to me i can prepare for it i'm not going to have a foreign object in my mouth so bottles are a no for me
1: well, and on that note <laughs> Um, Kathleen thank you so much for joining us on the show this week it's been a delight as we knew it would be it's, oh, it's been, been my
0: absolute pleasure. It,
2: it's been a super thrill. I've known you ever since you thought Theresa May was my mum,
1: but <laughs> and now you're like oh this massive megastar.
2: Yeah. Can we quickly tell that story? That yeah,
1: was amazing. Yeah, do, do, do. So, as which, long as your so, people
0: are allowing it, I think, I think we've got one yeah, minute to so, get it out. Yeah, no, we have to have this story. So Joe invited me to the Glamour Awards, which were the best party in town, and I mourned their passing. And I was no. put on her table, and I was sat next to an, an a, you know, an older woman who I presumed must be Joe's mum, and that she'd chosen me as a safe pair of hands to look after old Ma Elvin. See, so that's we, we should have known you were mistaken from the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> So we started yep. to have a chat I tried to find some common ground with her. In the end, it was about whether there was any real difference between a cardo and waitress Online. Like, surely they're the same thing. Yep. And I, I was still thinking, oh, I've done really well in this conversation. And then someone on stage went, and now to present the next award, it's the Foreign Secretary, Theresa May. And I realised it wasn't your mum. It was literally the woman who was going to be Prime Minister in two years' time.
2: <laughs> I mean, in a way,
0: she was all our mum. Yeah. Well, yeah. not my mum. <laughs> you no, know, I just, I just own her. I'm going to self-orphan if she's my mum. Sorry. The way I, that Bar- Boris is very likely a lot of our dads.
2: Yeah. So
1: you Absolutely. know, <laughs> I would also, I would also <laughs> argue that argue that Ma Elvin would have done a better job as prime minister. Let us put that out there. Now. I
2: know. Do you know what? I disagree.
1: <laughs> well, of course <laughs> you are. You're, you're her daughter. Of course I. Disagree-
0: I love my mum, but you would be
2: as upset with her as prime minister as you would Theresa <laughs> May. Trust me. <laughs> I don't
0: know. I'd like to think that giving your head daughter Ma Elvin wouldn't have worn what was
1: frankly a nasty taffeta dress like <laughs> 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 and I oh. love you know Catelyn, thank you so much again good luck with the film the film is out everyone go check it uh, on Amazon how to build a girl how to build a girl on the 24th of July congratulations Kathleen, and thanks again
0: thank you so much take it guys we love you fun. bye bye, bye.